everybody. Welcome to Pod- Clouded Compass Podcast. This is your host, Lori Smith. I am here with Dara Hoffman-Fox, author of You and Your Gender Identity, A Guide. To discovery. To discovering yours. Hi, Lori. Thanks for having me. Hi, Dara. Welcome. Welcome. So Dara and I met a couple uh, months ago, and um, they've been doing incredible work in Colorado. They have a have had a private practice. They have been working with the LGBTQIA community for a long time. And I am honored that they are coming on to talk about what is a very common thing in our, as we age, um, and that is rediscovering where you wanna go in your life, you know, what's working, what's not. And I wanted to bring them on because there are some things that we have in common and I would just love to talk further with you. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, I appreciate um, the invite. It's been um, since last fall, since I've done a podcast interview and um, gosh, I've done probably over 50 over the course of time. So it's definitely is indicative of me needing to have taken a pause before knowing what I would then be talking about on podcasts in this next venture of life. So because I really focus on the power of the pause and why that's important, would you um, be comfortable sharing with us what your journey is through understanding how and why you needed one? Sure. <clears throat> and feel free to... Um, ask any questions along the way because it's a it could it's a pretty long story and it can there's a lot of different directions I could take with it. So okay. yeah, feel free to jump in at any point. Um I would guess I would say the there's many different aspects of my life that it was time for those areas to be um you know there's certain areas I needed to do some release work and say goodbye to and and there were areas that I was um I guess when it comes down to it I, you know how like people say sometimes if you're, if you're not aware of what's going on for you, your body's going to eventually let you know. So um, I've heard this happening with especially a lot of therapists and a lot of professions that were really um, impacted during the pandemic is that I did not recognize the extent of my burnout. And last summer, which would have been June, 2021, um, it started with just different physical ailments that started to happen. Uh, I also, in retrospect, know I was going through a big perimenopause shift, hormone shift, but I started getting, um, I I thought I had a sinus um, infection and uh, just had this constant head pressure that I believe was very, in retrospect, uh, sometimes it was allergy related, but it was very psychosomatic in terms of like this attention that my body was trying to get my attention. Um, there was a relationship I was in that I needed to end. There was, my mom had been diagnosed with cancer. Uh, at that time, there were changes that I just, especially career-wise that needed my attention. And I was having a hard time really being ready to accept that. And I know a lot of people can relate to that. I had been a therapist for 14 years in private practice and a couple of years before that as well in a agency. Um, I also had been doing training and education, um, podcast interviews regarding transgender and non-binary awareness and yeah. re- wrote a book and created courses. And I was going to conferences and being keynote speakers and things like that. Um, even that started to feel like maybe this is not what I want to be doing anymore. And it just, those things being such a core part of 
my identity. It did um, literally probably took, it was a good couple of years to really, um, when I look back, I can see the signs of it were coming in, especially regarding being a therapist, but then the pandemic happened and, you know, I, I wasn't time, wasn't time yet to stop doing that yet. Uh, my clients needed me too much at that so point. It's, you're bringing up so many good things that I just want to go back and touch on because you really summed up, I think what more than uh, a lot of us are going through, whether we sort whatever stage of acceptance of it or realizing it's happening is or not. One thing that occurs to me is we, we have this sort of idea about life that once we like arrive, quote unquote, like however that is, whether we come out, whether we're successful, whether we have a business, whether we start something, whether we get married, whatever social approval, once we get there, we're supposed to be okay, right? Like that, 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 that was the goal. And here you are, you, you have a practice, you are an expert, you have um, a lot of things that are going for you. And I can relate to that because in my darkest hour of social work, I identified as only a social worker. Like this is what I was. And so coming to terms with how I am so much more than just what I've painted myself into a box to look like, whether that's you know, a profession or um, a gender or a, a marriage or whatever, like whatever living I was living in looked good on the outside, but something was not okay on the inside. And I think that the talking about burnout, it took me a long time as well to also come to reckon with the fact that I was just going, going, going. I was going through the motions. I wasn't very happy but it was really, really scary. And I was ashamed to do anything about it. I was ashamed to look at that because when I think about, well, you're doing life, quote unquote, right or wrong, everything, all the boxes were checked. I was doing, you know, I was doing this and that, but I was dying on the inside. I was literally dying. And if you look at the chronic health conditions that we have, by the time we get to 50, 60, 70, you see this chronic illness. And I suspect that that's going to be a younger age post pandemic. And so here we have all these people post pandemic who have been working, are exhausted, have things being met for them, you know, check the boxes and their soul is wounded. So how did you start listening and noticing what that was saying to you? Yeah, it feels like it was, um, I had no choice. I mean, I could not exist anymore in that state in which, like I said, it started off with um, hormone fluctuations and then the head pressure. And it really, really, um, I I ended up on antibiotics for two weeks during that time when I thought I had a sinus infection. And I now know um, so much about how much that just really destroyed my gut health, which then so much impacts the mental and emotional health. And then, so I wasn't properly then doing the things I needed to do to heal my gut. Um, which is interesting because like I did, I have a naturopath, I have a mm-hmm. primary care physician, I have a somatic practitioner. Um, I think I had so many different symptoms that all my practitioners were a little confused. And yeah. it really, when it came down to it, which I think makes the most sense is was me having to really be able to figure out as I was going along, okay, I'm going to let you all know what I need to prioritize. It feels like this is 
an issue. This is an issue. And eventually my naturopath was like, you know, based on everything you're saying about your anxiety, just skyrocketing and this and that, she said, let's do gut health. Let's go ahead. And, you know, and so we went that path. Um, and then my things helped. I'm sorry. What, what types of things helped with your gut? Because that is the second brain. There's a lot of um, neurotransmitters down there. Uh, I mean, it was probiotics, really just a heavy regimen of probiotics this year. Um, I've been working with a dietitian and kind of taking it next level was also in terms of removing, um, it's not quite an elimination diet, but removing anything that could be irritating to my gut. And then me, the, um, then being able to, uh, test that out and see what it is that has been exacerbating Mm. my, my worst symptoms. I would say the, the ones that I very much don't miss, um, is it's not just anxiety. Like it's like full blown, um, OCD and, um, that kind of thing. And so that really gets, um, very triggered when my gut health is not good. And that's all something I would not have learned or known about myself if I hadn't gone through this. So yeah, I was having insomnia last year. So that added onto it a lot. And, um, I just really, I, I took a month off. Um, I, t- I called it a sabbatical. Good. I took a month off from um, my private practice. And what I did during that time was I was like, okay, I need to figure out a different schedule. I need to have fewer clients. And so I, I did a lot of work to make that happen. And when I came back, it, I, you know, it wasn't enough. Um, mm. I just needed to not be in private practice anymore, but it took another six weeks or so after that, but it was, it was important. I, it was not a restful month. It was, I still had that underlying sense that, okay, something's not okay. And I need to try to take some steps. And those were just, it was good. It was like little steps I needed to take to see, does this help? Does this help? And eventually it was like, I just, no, I just, this is just not my work anymore. It's just not what I want to be doing. So many people who have a private practice in the profession that we do, um, feel a little bit of guilt about leaving their patients, so so to speak, or putting putting their practice and putting their patients sort of in in the second bucket is a, like bothering to care for self is a very often threatening thing to people, you know, uh, workers in particular, healthcare workers. So how what was the experience like for you? You had physical symptoms that were literally decided kind of preventing you from being full-time and then you still decided that you needed to back away even further how did you navigate emotionally those things Mm. um yeah that definitely was not easy like you said there's um that sense of not wanting them to feel abandoned and so while the good thing is that um I don't know. I just had a really wonderful set of clients and they, they could see I was struggling. Um, and I was, and I think it is important. That's something that's hard sometimes for therapists to do is feel like we have permission to let our clients know if there is something that's going on for us that we feel like is impeding our ability to be providing the best service. And so when I presented it that way, hundred percent, you know, if the clients were like, totally understand, you know, let's take that, take that month off and see how you feel when you come back. And so it was a, so I can't say that any of my clients were hugely surprised when eventually my conclusion was, it turns out I, I am actually closing my practice. Um, so not to say that there weren't some, I mean, you know, under, there's 
I'm glad there were tears shed over it, you know, on, on my side as well. Cause yeah. some of these clients I've been working with for like, well, yeah, private practice for 14 years, one of them for that long. Wow. Um, and quite a few clients for several, several years. And so having to, to conclude relationships with people like that many people yeah. um, in the midst of then my, like I mentioned, my mom passing away and saying right. goodbye to my identity as a therapist. And at least for the, you know, I'm taking a pause from the trans and non-binary educator role. I wouldn't say that's a, a complete goodbye quite yet, but yeah, there was a lot of, of grieving and, and loss, but it um, was necessary to make room for what comes next. Well, and I have found um, amazingly, one of the things in my own practice is that, um, you know, if I'm sick one day, I am explicit with my clients. I would want you to tell me the same. I don't want to come to you with energy that is not useful. I'd rather care for myself and I am, you know, need to model for you how to do that. And if I don't do that for myself, then I don't want you coming to me, honestly. Like if I'm not taking care of myself, you have full freedom to, to go learn from somebody else. And the only, and one of the things that you're talking about is a lot of things were ending at the same time, you know, the, the, um, sort of questioning your, your identity professionally, um, a very key, uh, relationship in your life, a key relationships in your life were ending. So all of this was coming together first. And what I think is so funny is that we forget that the body does have a conversation with us. Like we forget that the body is not probably going to be safe in all of these particular circumstances. So you had some gut health impacting your anxiety. Yes. This is not a pleasant experience, I can imagine. And I would like to know, as a therapist, what do you think helped you most navigate to the space where you were able to start giving and taking with your own mind and body. Mm -hmm. I think really understanding the relationship between what was causing what within me. So, you know, my gut health, yes, it was impacted by the antibiotics, but it was also hugely impacted by stress yes. and burnout. And so then in turn, any hormone shifts I would have are already you know, we're going to have their intensity, but then it's even worse because of cortisol and stress. Right. And so it's all swirling together in that way. And it can be hard and overwhelming sometimes to know what to start with. And then it's impacting my sleep, which makes the gut health worse, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So I would say, um, I did, um, in early January, my primary care physician figured out a couple of tweaks to do to my hormone regimen that helped. Um, it's, yeah, again, my practitioners have been so great to be so patient and trying to figure out all of this. And I think they're kind of actually fascinated by the whole process because they've learned a lot through oh, what I've been yes. um, Because what happened then in pretty much early January is also my mom's health. That's when it took the biggest turn. And it, I, th I think I was, I was still not at all in the clear when it came to my health, but then my mind was like, you're going to have to show up for your mom for a few weeks mm. now. And so I was like, hmm, like, I actually feel like I'm, and I, well, I honestly, I canceled my, all my clients for the month of February. So okay. that I, cause that's when my mom passed away. Um, and I, she, uh, she had in-home hospice. So mm. I wanted to be present for that, 
with my siblings. So um, once, you know, she passed away and I had decided to close my practice in March, that was um, a lot, you know, it just was emotional and um, even though it was necessary. So that was still, oh, and and I went on another round of antibiotics because I thought I had another infection and that just reminded me um, this, these are terrible. I just can't, can't. These are exhausting. You're exhausting. Like just talking about the level of, of pressure and what, what's occurring to me is that like, I know that you had been sort of, um, going back and forth with closing your practice, but mom didn't, your mom didn't die two years ago. She died this year. It is almost as if you, like the world was making room for you to be available to her. Mm-hmm. these, these physical illnesses, they were building, building, building all of a sudden you couldn't do that and take care of your mom. You literally had to make a decision where to put your limited energy. And so if I remember right, it's also around the time that she was passing and you were closing your practice uh, that everything started to kind of unfold. Um, the, the direction started to shift. I would say, early April, which means, I mean, and I could, I would say it was within even just a week of no longer seeing clients anymore. Huge relief, huge opening of, uh, and I started seeing my dietitian at that time and we started working on the gut health things. Um, Yeah. There was just a lot of just space clarity. Like I could feel my energy flow again. So I think the combination of those two things, and then I'm sure I was at a certain, eh, at that point it had been a month and a half since my mom had passed away. And so there was a certain level of that shock that had worn off. Um, just even the shock of being, um, providing in-home hospice for her, not to say that the grief process still is not (laughs) underway, but a certain, um, you know, I was able to start really processing a lot of the deeper elements of that experience that ended up feeling almost freeing and beautiful. And so that is very much something I I could then integrate into myself. Um, And so. And honor it and focus on it instead of going to see, you know, eight clients a day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, at that point it wasn't even two, even four clients a day was um, enough. Yeah. It's just, um, I was just really, again, sometimes it's in retrospect, but I was definitely not, I don't, I want to, you know, make sure I say it's not that being a therapist when, for the time that I was one, wasn't incredibly rewarding. And, um, you know, just again, just the work I did with all those people, just really so fond of them and impressed by them and just such a great time, but, um, recognizing that it was not, the modality. It was not the energy I, that fed me anymore. It was drained. I was being drained a lot, like you said, because I didn't have the energy capacity for it. And then I wondered, is it, oh, is it just because I'm low energy and my capacity is drained? And I was, and I had to get to that deep truth. It's like, it's okay. You've been a therapist for 14 years. You can, you can say this is your natural little push that it's time. It's time to leave this nest and go to the new one. And it's, um, you know, Valerie Cower, um, K.A. U-E-R, I believe. She wrote a really good book saying about See No Stranger, but she talks about the change process 
in terms of a woman's labor, actually, she, um, there's this gestation period where things sort of build and you prep and there's all this maybe discomfort and back pain and all this. Then they they go teach you Lamaze so that you breathe and you, you learn how to breathe so that you can push through this tiny miracle that comes out in very tragic ways. So there's the gestation, the, um, the period of rest, and then a push. That is a very natural type of change instead of go, go, go. And so organically, there were some things happening that built, built, built. It just, it forces us to rest so that we can experience things like grief and come out the other side and be like, oh, well, I've never, of course I was going to, you know, give birth to an entity. Like how would I not go to my next thing that I, I am not supposed to be a social worker for 60 years and you'll always be a social worker, but you know, maybe I'm not supposed to hold a private practice. Maybe this chapter's over. That's okay because mm-hmm. I'm going to another chapter. It doesn't mean anything other than, oh, I'm so thankful my body gave me some messages to let me know to shift directions. Mm-hmm. But it's really crappy messages. And I'm very sorry that you were experiencing, you know, chronic illness and distress for a while. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's a now, I mean, I don't think I'm going to go through it again like that to the extent I know better Hopefully. now how to listen to the signs and so, catch them earlier. So speak to me about the somatic worker that you were working with as well, because um, somatics is a theory that we hold the stress in our body in different ways for many different reasons. Um, and they have some uh, very good practices that ha- that I'm assuming helped you. Yeah, I would say it's a combination of... Um, you know, the work that we did, let's say in session, and then just the different tools and techniques I could use at home to help myself. I went, I last year was um, going in and out of a lot of dissociative states. I was Mm. going into like freeze mode a lot and collapsing Mm. and just um, having all of those different somatic um, techniques to be able to do, even if it was just to get me to like some sort of baseline again. Yeah. Um, was, uh, was just, um, imperative to my sanity at that point. So that, you know, that's where just having all of that to do on my own, um, and having my practitioner teach me those and remind me when I could, um, pull those out at any moment. And then my, um, practitioner and I worked in session and it was, it was interesting for a while. Like she also learned a lot through my experience where, um, you know, we would be talking about, you know, the, whatever the presenting feeling was, and then we trace it down. Of course, it always goes back to childhood. And I was, um, you know, that intensity of that work sometimes was too much for me. I do know that it still did the job and, was able to do, like you said, in terms of the body needing to release that, um, that energy and replace it with the healing energy. But because I was in such a state of, um, dysregulation, I would get thrown off again just for another few days for a week. And I couldn't tell what was helping anymore. Um, I think she hadn't really worked with someone who, and the reason I'm mentioning OCD is that I did visit a psychiatric um, practitioner okay. a couple months ago. And her assessment was that, um, yes, when I'm under 
huge stress and my body is extremely burdened and taxed, I do end up having um, OCD. Um, and it's, it's very internal. It's not necessarily an external. I mean, yeah. my ex, my external is very much like I'm, I'm constantly writing down everything that's happening inside my head. Cause I want somebody to help me and understand it. So it's like tons of like notes and letters and journals and lists and, but in, it's all very, just the dialogue that just is, um, intrusive thoughts and things like yeah. that. That was the, um, predominant, um, like you said about fear, that was the state of fear. And so my freeze would be the, where I would go the most with that, lots of dissociation. So, um, yeah, it was, it was, I think she did the best she could with a very complicated situation. And so now, you know, we're able to do a bit more with that because I'm feeling so much more stable and, you know, in terms of, uh, parts work, that's been really great because I have had, um, yeah, there's been parts of me that I didn't quite realize how much in exile they were and having those now really being freed up to live their best life and not have to worry about being in a protector role anymore. And that's been, I can tell that's really been helpful as well. So, oh my gosh, again, so you're, you're talking about sort of trauma symptoms and responses. And I talk to my clients about this so much. One thing that I know about the fight, flight, or freeze mode is that when we're under extreme distress, we are, all kinds of things will start making sense when we look at it from the point of view that we're literally feeling and thinking like we are dying or we're going to die or we're under the threat of death. That is a very scary, closed, protective state of being that can be said in many ways, but it's hard to help somebody understand that that's not like the the last end of the story. So how, what helped you in the darkest days, hold on or remember or, or trust that that was not it, like Mm. that that was just not going to be the end of everything. Yeah. It's so interesting because the way you described that, I had, I had never experienced that before. You know, I had not understood how, what do you mean you feel like you're dying? And then like, I was like, last year I was like, oh, this is really weird. Like it does feel like, and I, and I have a strong spiritual practice where I know that it's also dying can be death and rebirth, you know, dying transformation, dying has to happen don't worry, you're not literally dying. Yes. And so I, I would make sure to, to keep that in mind um, and remind myself that this is actually so important. Um, and sure, let's call it a death, but it is like, whether it's the ego death, identity death yeah. and things like that. Um, yeah. The state in which I was in when the anxiety and the OCD was really high Um Really, that was, at its worst, I just had to do it moment by moment, just try to regulate myself. And I turned to my loved ones and friends so, so much during that time. And I'm, you know, whether it was in person, uh, sending Marco Polo messages to each other, texting, I just was, I I had no shame. I was like, hey, everybody, I am going through some really intense stuff right now. And so I had almost constant... um, support in that way, because really 
when we're, especially, it's almost like I was in that, um, trapped in that child state. And so when that happens, yes. it's just so nice to have a comforting, reassuring, regulating presence. Um, so that was really what I had to do. And a lot of those friends of mine are, um, really wise and would remind me like, this is temporary. This is makes sense what you're going through, even though it's so scary. I think nobody quite realized just the extent of the anxiety and the OCD and how much that was just a whole nother. And it was the gut health thing. Like that part yeah. needed to be addressed. So in the meantime, everyone was just supporting me and holding me up as much as I could. Um, and so therefore that was um, a big part of it. Yeah, that makes total sense. I think um, the other thing that occurs to me is since we are um, both social workers, it, I did not realize when I when I started to look at if I was if I was going to continue being a social worker or not. One of the things that came to my awareness was the fact that there are parts of me I had been protecting for a long time, a little too well, and that I had not allowed parts of myself to come out and play. And you were talking about some of the parts of you that you've invited out to play. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. Um, the so just to clarify, I'm a uh, I was a licensed um, professional counselor. Apologies. Uh, I, and and I only say that because I think in terms of the social work field, I have so yes. much tremendous respect for uh, what y'all do. I think it's very, um, yeah, very noble, very admirable. And so not to say I, I didn't work hard too, but yeah. for sure. Um, I, okay, what was the question again? <laughs> so just basically like- Oh, about playful when, parts, right. When you're in the medical model and you're in session with somebody- one of you is um, given the task of being "quote unquote" the expert. I don't, I don't like to play that way, and I I never knew how costly that was, as opposed to coming to somebody, you know, just me. Here's me, and here's you. That kind of conversation. It's a very different when you're in this forced container of me asking you to trust me because of the degrees I have on my wall, versus no, really, I'm good at holding space and walking through trauma and I've been there too and etc and so on and so when I had faced that and left or thought I was gonna have to leave my profession it occurred to me that I, there were parts that I wasn't sharing with the world that I had protected because of the traumas and the sort of um performance I needed to do does this make sense yeah, I remember now. So I would say, because this was the most recent example of this, I'll share in terms of um, a part that feels like it's been released from exile. Um, let's see. It's so interesting. So I would say um, the, the experience of joy yes. had been an, an exiled part for me. Ugh. And so um, one big reason for that, and I feel I'm, I'm comfortable now talking about this because it's, um, it's a little, for those of you who've experienced like the death of a parent, it can feel a little weird to talk about things that were hard with that parent because yes. they're, they're no longer here, but it's, it's important to do it as part of our continued healing. And it's a continued healing of the relationship with that parent, even after they're gone. Um, my mom was, um, you know, through her own trauma that she went through in childhood, her best defense mechanisms was to, were to stay in, I would say, toxic positivity. And so growing up, it was very much about just trying to like repress emotions and staying positive. And so 
Well, I mean, I, um, I had my mom on a huge pedestal when I was young and I just, yeah, let's do that. Like I would do whatever she said and whatever it felt like was gonna, um, that would work out. And I think it worked fine, you know, for a while. It just seems like, yeah. And so it started, you know, that started to crumble a bit, probably in my twenties and especially probably by about, which is, that's like your whole Saturn return kind of thing where you're like, wait a second, maybe I'm. I have different feelings and opinions than my, my parents. And so, right. Yeah. I would say starting in my early thirties, I started to, it was almost like a rebellion against it. So her conversations, she'd be, and it's so, I know she meant the best of intentions. She's like, so her, she would say, we get on the phone and she say, so you're doing good, right? And you're just set up right away. Right. Where you're, what are you supposed to say? And so I would always say, well, no, not necessarily. And so I would be like, Eeyore is what, you know, if I'm going to use an imagery, you know, I was just like, you know, so I was just always trying so hard to get her to, to, and to me, it's not to be like pessimistic. It's to be real. I wanted realness and I wanted our relationship to feel more real. And it was just, you know, again, for her own, um, what she's been through, she just, she couldn't get that. She didn't understand that. That's what I I was like. You have to actually have your full range of emotions and we have to do this. And so that just wasn't something she was able to, to do. And so I had a real judgment against, um, you know, anything that sniffed of like positive thinking. Ah, I love this because that was very, yeah, to me, it meant I was repressing my true self. Right. And so I, you know, and then I was at the point where I was like, no, I just came out when I was 30 as being gay. And then when I was 40 as non-binary, so I'm like, no, my whole, my whole life's work is to make sure I'm being authentic and real. And so this positivity stuff, you know, I'm like the, you know, that's for the birds. Like, Mm -hmm. and so, um, it was interesting because it was when she was on her deathbed, I, I had, she was non-responsive, still alive. And I just like, it just came to me where I was just like joy. I was like, she wants me to experience more joy. Mm. Mm. And I was like, all right, I'll think about that. And then um, I realized that long story short, I, I have a, I got a tattoo on my wrist. Wonderful. My mom never got to go to France, but she loved France, loved French language, everything France. And so I got it and it says um, to avec joie, which is everything with joy. And I felt uh. like that was a, I had a friend who helped me come up with that. Um, it shows that I can, you can still be like real and authentic yes. and have emotion. And then in the mix of that, can you incorporate joy? And then in the weeks following her death, like the word joy just kept coming up and coming up. Uh. And then even the new book that Susan Cain wrote called bittersweet, like she really talks about how it's like all about the blend, you know, it's like, uh. there's the pain and then there's the growth that comes from pain right. and then there's the suffering. And then there's the beauty, you know, that you can come yes. from that. And so to me, it's like, oh, I just wish, I wish my mom could have understood that this is what it's about. It's the swirling. Yes. Of I needed more of what she was trying to encourage and wow. she needed more of what I was trying to encourage, but I'm, I'm able to do that now. And I feel like she's from, you know, the spirit world appreciating that and like, oh, I see, like, that's great. You're bringing both. And so I had not realized that that was an exiled part and had a session with my somatic practitioner where she just kind of started picking up on those threads. And I was like, and I was the one that said, it was like, joy has my exiled part. And I left session and I cried for like half an hour in the uh. grocery store parking lot, but it felt like relief. Like joy was like, finally, yes. like, can I be a part of your life? And so following that, 
I mean, I could tell, you know, I would sometimes think that I wasn't like when I was feeling good or joyful, I thought I yes. was, ma- I thought I was manic. I was like, uh-huh. this, why am I feeling sky high today? Oh no, it's mania. So, what's wrong? Yes. Yeah. And instead it's like, this is how we're supposed to feel like, you know, baseline. And then yeah. you have hard days and you're exhausted and it happens, but this is okay. And, for, and I really had to, it's only been a few weeks where I'm like, okay, I'm going to trust this. Like, this is okay how this feels. And so I feel like that was like the biggest, probably the biggest exiled part that so far has been able to be freed. And my protector part no longer has to worry about protecting me from positivity. And, you know, like, it's just so naive and, you know, yeah. And sucking you dry of your true authentic self. It's, it's um, no more. It is. And one of the things trauma robs us from is um, in my experience, Every time I felt good, joy, if you will, I was so afraid that I was going to harm somebody else. Like Mm. I was so afraid that my happiness was going to get in the way of somebody else's comfort because that's, you know, that's a trauma response. And so I didn't know what joy was either. And this whole second business I'm starting, the the main purpose is so that I can continue to do something that I love and I hope other people follow up. But when we do not incorporate joy, there's a quote that I will never, I will take to my grave. Don't let them steal your joy. When you have, when we live in a world that assaults us daily with whatever, social conditioning, name your tune of it, name your color and flavor of it, to abolish and give, liberate yourself and give permission to feel joy, whether they hurt you or not is an armor I'd rather have than a tank because joy is a, Resma Medicam says this, joy is a primary emotional human condition. Everything else, you can have my body, you can have my mind, you can have my labor, uh, you will not get my joy. My joy is mine and I will determine if and when and how I have it. And so bravo, because again, here's this, like, you're a joy lover. Who knew? Woo-hoo! Well, I think something that's also challenging and made me think of when you were talking about that is that sometimes when we tap into our joy, we do end up hurting other people Yes, because it could be, oh, that means this isn't a relationship I want to be anymore. This is a profession I don't want to be anymore. This is whatever it is. And so we, yeah, that's probably where the trauma comes from is that, for instance, when I was young, if there was, were things that brought me joy, like let's say having a full spectrum of emotion, it made, for instance, my mom too uncomfortable. Right. And so that, you know, and I was like, oh, I don't want to make my mom uncomfortable. So whatever, I didn't realize that what I was doing is me pushing down my authentic self was me pushing down joy. And so, yeah, it's a risk to connect with your authentic self and that joy because you're going to make changes. I have had some losses since I sort of came out as joyful have you, I mean, oh, yeah, you, you for lost sure. your business, but like personal relationship wise, I can, I can, yeah, it's there and they're in the works. Yeah. I can tell there's definitely yep. been shifts yeah. and it's, and luckily it all feels slow. It feels yep. like they can be approached, um, over time and, but yeah, you just can't help it after a while. You just can feel that intuition of something not feeling like the right fit anymore. Yeah. And I think that that's okay too. You know, again, people's discomfort isn't the threat, like there's, there's bigger threats, but the discomfort may not be permanent. It, I, I look at this in the same way you, I look at your practice. 
it was needed for a chapter, just like all my survival skills were needed for a chapter. This is not that chapter. Maybe that person won't follow me into this chapter. Maybe we're, you know, maybe we're all both going our own ways in which that person gets to interact with so many other people. And so do I. Right. Like, that's okay. What if we, we got, if, if it was a good relationship, then we have incredible memories in that chapter Mm -hmm. that I will forever be grateful for. Yeah. And it's, you know, if I've been on the other side of that, I can know, you know, I know it's not, it is hard because then, especially if you're, you're not feeling that on your side and somebody else is saying, you know, cause then it can feel, um, you know, if it's still triggers a trauma wound, it could feel like rejection and abandonment. And right. if, if it's something that you've healed, it still can be sad, disappointing, um, hurtful, but also like, it's kind of mixed in with that. Okay. But also I understand. I had a lot of clients who were like, God, I'm so sad. You're not going to be my right, therapist anymore, right. but I understand. And so, you know, they're, they're having their full range of emotion as well. And I think it really depends on the person who's going through the changes, trying to be as compassionate as possible. I mean, that's where, like, I like how you called it the midlife, um, shoot, uh, aware, awakening, midlife awakening, because midlife crisis, I think it's because people make these changes and then you see them doing it very chaotically Yes, because they, they are having this awakening, but then they're like, and you know, and it's just, everything changes all quickly at once. And so, yes, I'm making a lot of changes and it, and it is usually, this is what happens to me. here comes this time of life. And I'm like, uh, Oh, like everything (laughs) is like the lever is pulled and, but I'm this time around, cause I've learned over all the different times I've gone through this, the cycle is that take your time. You know, there's some things that real need your attention sooner than others, but you don't have to change it all at once, but definitely like just being very present um, with my, yeah, what's my body telling me and really having to like, I do want to mention this because I was about to say, take care, making sure I'm taking care of my body and reducing my stress. So I can hear the messages, but I'm extremely, um, privileged that right now at this point, because I know this is what a lot of people think, like, how do I take time off of work? I have to make a living. Mm -hmm. Um, I did have, a lot of savings that I actually had saved up during the pandemics. I had worked so much during it that I was able to use. And then when that ran out was almost to the day when I um, got some money from my mom's estate. And so I'm able to use that right now to have this time. So um, I think it's important to to mention and to be transparent about because that is not the situation for many people in terms of saying, how do I, take this time to do what Dara's doing, you know, it's like, this is really, I'm really blessed that this is how it's going. I'm going to go a little bit dark with where you just went. I've been hospitalized psychiatrically. Do you think that I had time to take off work? No, I didn't have time. And do you think I could afford it? No. Guess what? If, if needed, there are credit cards, there is state health insurance, there is, you know, unemployment if you need it. Although if you own, own your own business, there's some other factors there, but the point is, we, it is not a, don't wait until is the point. You did it and you had some very privileged uh, ability to do so. That's wonderful. I've done it and I did it because I was forced to with my mental health and I still survived. You know, like, do I like that I'm in debt? No, I don't. And do I really care? No, I don't. I don't because that, that was used to keep me surviving enough so that I could see you know, so that yeah. I, it, it was you, it, it, back. 
That's a good point. Cause I did that with my, my first divorce. Now that I think about it, cause I, yeah, I was like, I, I have, I, I'm going to, yeah. Credit card. I cashed out my retirement account. Yeah. You know, you all do, that. Oh, yep. I drained yeah. those too. You got to do what you got to do, but that's you know, the student point. loans, you know, adding extra money to student loan to support myself. Like, yeah. and even, yeah, even to this day, I finally just paid off my student loan uh, with some of the money from my mom's estate just last week. And I'd been paying on that since 2007. And, but yeah. I needed that money to support myself through that divorce. And, but I, I didn't want to not get divorced. It needed. Well, to I think too. Yes. So change is messy. And sometimes it doesn't look good on the outside. Sometimes you do go in debt to leave a divorce because you're miserable. Or sometimes you take a break for, because your mind and body literally aren't able to show up at work right now. Like this is all there's many ways to get through this. The point is we get through. The point is it is the turning of the page of something. The point is that hang on because the story's not over yet. The point is that you can do good things even if there's messy shit going on. You got it. <laughs> so I am so honored that you came here to speak with us and that you shared this very personal and very my hunch is it's more common than not experience in terms of our bodies and then our life transitions and all of that. What's next for you? Do you know yet? Do you care if you know yet? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, I feel again, like, because I have this opportunity to give things some space and time that I have had a renewed energy in connecting with my local community um, I live in Colorado Springs in Colorado, and I've lived here since the late 90s. So it's over 20 years now and um, been a part of the queer community since the mid 2000s. And I know just so many wonderful people here, not just in the queer community, but the nonprofit community as well. Yes. And I've noticed so many people reached out to me after my mom died and just either they said, oh, my mom also has passed away and then, or, Hey, can I just take you out to lunch? You know, you're going through a hard time. And I was like, yeah, I got the time I can do it. And I just started having conversations with people that started to swirl together in terms of like, this is really like what our, con our community needs in terms of, you know, fresh air or, or connection or, and honestly, I'm still not even sure what my role is in it. I just know I'm yep. supposed to keep anybody who pops in my head or comes across my Facebook feed locally, who says something that seems interesting. I'm going to go say, can I just sit with you and just see what comes from our conversation? Cause these, these pieces are going to start coming together. I have no yes. doubt to see what I'm, what role I'm meant to fill. Um, and then I also had a realization. I like to share that it, it was just during a Zumba class. I think Zumba is fun. Yes. I think it is, and I was moving my body and I was just letting myself just, and then boom, I, I was hit, you know, as they call it, like with a download from the universe where I was Love like, I, I don't want to work one-on-one -on -one with clients. Cause I had dabbled in thinking, well, maybe I'll just do coaching instead of therapy. Uh -huh. I was like, nope, that's not what I want to do. And almost immediately came these ideas about, um, I'm going to call it event planning for lack of a better word, but I want, I was thinking, God, it'd be so fun to create a retreat and workshops or festivals. Um, it is something I did in college Ooh. and it's something that just, I was like, well, alrighty then that's something that maybe I'll just stay open and just talk about it with people and see how does that path open up. And I have no doubt that at some point, those two different things I mentioned, which is like community building and, yes. um, I think one of my friends called it like experience building, but yeah, merge those two together. So this is 
where I'm at. So I actually feel like I'm, I call them passion projects instead of like, what am I going to do for, for work? What's my career going to be? It's like passion projects. And from there, whatever I need to support myself financially is going to come. And I, I call that being in alignment, which is what I teach in my passion project is because I heard you say so many things. I knew, I just know I I'm going to see what comes out of it. And there's this thread of trust that healing offers because in the moments of the, the trauma and the fear-based thinking, there's no trust that you're going to be okay. We, we've all, none of us should trust that we're going to be okay in the world that we live in. And at the same time, there are things that we can't see happening and there are energies interacting and, and all of that. And it's not new. It's not woo-woo. We have scientific, scientific evidence, but this is a much more rhythmic way of living than, well, I'm going to create this and I'm going to go here and I'm going to see what, you know, I'm going to go tell Colorado Springs what I'm ready to do. Okay. Maybe sometimes not in your, not in your journey. Your journey is I'm going to see what Colorado Springs and I can do together and let's see how this Mm -hmm. turns out. Like it's so fun. It's joyful. Yes, that is very true. And again, like I said, I'm very fortunate that I have um, the opportunity to give it the space and time. Um, I also still work for my dad's, um, I've been working for my dad's publishing company for 21 years now, which is so great to have that as a, it's almost like a side gig, but um, I do layout and graphic design for his books and um, the books that he publishes. And so that's, yeah, I've got some income coming in that can, I I like the idea, like you said, that you do. I want to have multiple multiple things going on at the same time. Um, Not that's going to take me down the road of burnout again. So I need to be careful to always maintain as much as possible. How can I keep that balance? You know, what is it that I want my lifestyle to feel and look like? But, you know, living consciously and intentionally to me in my experience has been a hell of a lot easier than, than working harder. I call it kind of innocently working smarter. Not that there's dumbness about working harder, but it's easy. It's ease. There's some ease and freedom and, and going with the flow type of energy that comes with moving through life, just waiting to see what shows up and putting yourself in the places that you want to be put in so that it can show up. Do you know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Like Mm -hmm. you don't, I can, I need to go to nature every weekend because I need that recalibration in my system. You do your Zumba because you need the recalibration. You um, are now on some regimes for your gut health, correct? Mm -hmm. So that you can get the rejuvenation. But the point is when we fill our bodies with minds, with toxins, that's what we're going to distribute. Like that's, Mm -hmm. that's a basic equation. When we invest in honoring the mind and body and spirit and soma that we were given, no matter what it looks like, no matter if it shifts in, you know, shape or size, staying focused on that is not selfish. Staying focused on that means that I have enough vibration to be there for you in your moment of need. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's really um, my goal right now is how can I be of service? And yes. But I know that that can't happen, like you said, unless what you just said is the has the intention, but also like, is my, yeah, my mind and body need to be ready to, but then it's like, yeah. And it's just really, like you said, it's like a, the vibration, the energy flow comes through me and it's able to help instead of it 
being just somehow just coming from my human body. And then I just like, it's just the depletion that comes from that. And so connected to whatever everybody out there believes in, in terms of their source or higher power, then you're just able to like share that. And then things fall into place the way they're meant to, and you're meant to talk to and meet the right people at the right time. And yeah, just, and then it just like really um, builds upon itself in that way. I love it. I love it because like attracts like, and if you're, if your energy is higher, you're going to attract higher energy. And that's not to say that if you have low energy, you're doing something wrong. If you have low energy, look at why, look at what's going on, look at your mind and body and soul and spirit and environment and soma and see if there's on a subtle way, a way that you're innocently betraying yourself, innocently, not listening, innocently, not honoring, um, you know, and so I'm really glad that you shut your practice, not because I wanted your practice shut, but because it meant that you were going to have time for your mom and you were going to feel better and good enough to make the decisions you needed to make. Um, so you're going to the, um, the town, you're working with the town, you have the book. Are you still doing your teaching courses on Teachable? Um, I have two courses that are up right now. They are a couple, couple few years old. Um, and so of course things do change over time. Um, so I will be sure to give you the information, um, to put in your show notes to share with that. Cause I'd like to create a coupon code as well, um, for everybody for the courses, but yeah, my book, um, you and your gender identity, a guide to discovery. Excellent book, by the way. Thanks. Thanks very much. Yeah, that's definitely, I, I'm, even though it's yeah like old dara wrote that book but it's still it's a great book so i'm I'm happy to still talk about it and promote it yeah and it reminded me of my own gender identity you know like i just it it's uh everybody can read it it's very useful anyone can read it what are the names of your courses oh gosh thanks you remember laurie um (laughs) (laughs) um one of them how about i'll summarize one of them has to do with uh, non-binary identities and the other one has to do with uh, creating an affirming environment for your trans and non-binary clients which is not just like your physical environment um obviously because a lot of people are doing telehealth but it means what includes your paperwork and the way you even just uh introduce yourself to your new clients um how you use language with them to try to avoid microaggressions all that good stuff Wonderful. Okay. So two unteachable. How can we find out? Uh, you're going to send me the link. Yeah. But, um, they're long it, links. <laughs> good. I already have like two people. I'm going to share this um, information with when we get off. So wonderful. Anything else you want us to know about trauma, healing, transformation, um, growing, maturing, uh, spiritually, if you want to call it that gut health. I, um, no, I'm just really appreciative to have this chance to talk with you because I feel like, you know, in terms of the hero's journey, I take it very seriously that when I, you come to the whatever, supposed end of a chapter, at least you have gold to share with others. And I feel like I knew that as I was going through all of this, I just kept, that's another thing I did remind myself is that I'm going to, I'm learning so much and I'm going to share it all eventually. Um, and I, I, Carl Jung is, you know, I, I'm like, I feel like Carl Jung, like this is what he did when he like wrote his red book. Like he, yeah. it just became, he created, you know, new theories and, um, awarenesses and shared it with all of us afterwards. And that's what I was like, I'm going to do. I got a tattoo of Carl Jung during the time actually. So I could remind myself that this is what I'm doing is I, you know, one of my big, um, purposes in life is whatever I've been through. If there's any way I can then, 
um, take those lessons and share it with others that I want to do that. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jara. You're welcome. Thank you. I'm honored to um, have you in my network and I thank you for doing the work that you do. That is far more uh, lengthy, I think, than my own work. You've been, you've been working what, 20 years? In which field? Uh, helping. Um, yeah, about 15. All yeah. right. Well, Almost. thank you for joining Colorado Springs. I can't wait to see what you are able to share with Colorado Springs. Thank you. I am, I'm really eager about it too. So, but yeah, this was great. Thanks for having me on. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye.